What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this rip. It was a really good one. Great, great talk. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital, right down the hall from me here at the Bitcoin Commons in Austin. They're working on products to help you uh, secure your Bitcoin and leverage financial services with your Bitcoin using Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. Their Vault product um, is a two or three multi-sig, which you hold two keys. Unchain holds a third key. You always have custody of your keys. Uh, or excuse me, you, you, if you have custody of your keys, you're going to have full control over your Bitcoin. You can move your Bitcoin out of the vault whenever you please. Uh, they have an IRA product that they they rolled out earlier this year, or excuse me, late last year. Uh, they have a lending desk that allows you to use your Bitcoin as collateral to get USD liquidity, same-day liquidity. Uh, they're building out a suite of products for Bitcoiners using Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties, okay? If you're the IRA product, you can hold your own keys via multi-sig. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, they have a white glove concierge service. It's going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in a personal vault. If you want that, tell them the TFTC sent you. You're going to get $50 off that package. Uh, again, it's a white glove concierge service. They're going to hold your hand throughout the whole process. Go check out everything Unchained has going on, has going on at unchained.com. This room is also brought, brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Give me your brains. Brains, incredible team. Team behind Slush Pool, oldest Bitcoin mining pool in existence. They're the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, which allows you to stack more sats with your ASIC because it allows you to produce more hashes, which are imperative to producing sats or producing blocks that reward you sats for participating in that block production. Uh, if you have an ASIC and you're not running Brains OS Plus firmware on it, you're leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. Uh, Go to brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com. Check out the Brains OS Plus firmware page and check which ASICs it's compatible with. They just most recently launched. The S19 series should all be uh, Brains OS Plus compatible. What's miners? Apparently very close. They've been saying that for quite some time now. Hey, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to dig in until it comes. I'm a What's Miner user. I want that fucking firmware. <laughs> Edward, it's me telling you to like start whipping the devs. I'm kidding. We don't, you know, we don't like violence here at TFTC. Uh, they've got incredible uh, data, mining data page as well. Insights.brains.com. Go check it all out. Brains. That's B-R-A-I-I-I-I-N-S.com. This one was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here. To bring you a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform with no KYC, no AML. It also leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. The way it works is you put your Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty holds one key, and Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. You do not have control of your Bitcoin. However, since you hold one key, you have visibility into the wallet so that you can ensure that your sats are not being rehypothecated throughout the duration of the loan. As long as you're paying that loan back, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. If you have stable coins laying around, you want to issue them, uh, you, you want to put them to work to get some yield, you enter the other side of that marketplace, you lend out your stable coins to Bitcoiners looking for liquidity. 
they pay you back what you gave them plus interest, which turns in, which is yield on your stable coin. So go check all this out at lend.hodlhodl.com, L-E-N-D.H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L.com. Again, no KYC, no AML, peer-to-peer. They're building an incredible product at Hoddle Hoddle. Shout out to the team there. Last but not least, this rip is brought to you by our good friends at the Bitcoin 2022 conference. It's a week away, literally one week away from today in Miami, Florida, April 6th to 9th. It's going to be a massive event. People coming in from all over the world. Bigger than Live Aid. Bigger than the World's Fair. We got industry day on day one. Get your whale pass. Want to like if you're in the industry and you want to elbow up with big big hitters in the space. Days two and three. Seventh and the eighth. General conference days. Going to be a lot of talks. So for 400 speakers, many CEOs, a president, congressmen, senators, podcasters named Marty Bent. Matt O'Dell. We're going to be there. Day four, music fest, comedy fest. A lot of big acts. <laughs> you trying to get cake thrown on you? You like cake? Steve Aoki's going to be there. He's going to be throwing fucking cake on you guys. I don't know why anybody would subject themselves to that. It's very degrading. But if you like that sort of stuff, it's going to be available to you. Day four at the Bitcoin conference. Use the code TFTC if you haven't bought a ticket yet. You're going to get 10% off. Go to b.tc slash conference and enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Yeah, I was saying, Carr has been explaining the fact that you're just like this crazy builder. You build a bunch of shit. Uh, I do try my best, yeah. What, what made you start building? Like, why is your name Super Testnet? Let's start with that. Yeah. Uh, my name is Super Testnet because I try to use different um, different usernames on various social media platforms. And when I was signing up for Telegram, I was trying to come up with what my name would be for that one. And I went through a couple of ideas and one, one of them came to mind. I didn't put much thought into it. I was thinking for like two minutes, Super Testnet came to mind. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I use that, and that's that's where I got the name Super Testnet from. It's a Telegram username. It is kind of cool. As is your shirt. Thank nice. you for it. Super is, uh, and then and then you shorten it because Super people just call you Super. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool first name. I, people should use it more. You're walking around Austin like, hey, what's up, Super? <laughs> We've run into each other like on the corner here, like at least three or four times. We go to the same place for coffee, or I get chocolate milk there. But yeah, chocolate milk. Yeah, I don't I don't like coffee, but I like chocolate milk. I, it's been a while since I've had chocolate milk, but it is. Actually, we just gave my son his first glass of chocolate milk last week, and he thoroughly enjoyed it. There you go. It's breakfast of champions. It really is. High protein. I used to have milk chugging contests with my brother when uh, when we get home from lacrosse practice back in the day. That's the way to do it. Yes. But Carr tells me, uh, Carr, I don't think mysterious is the word 
And he says, like, yeah, there's something about Super. He just builds, he just shows up and builds. How long have you been building in the Bitcoin space? Uh, in the year 2018, I started uh, experimenting with building a Lightning wallet, or a, not a Lightning wallet, a, a regular Bitcoin wallet. Um, and I wanted to do that so I could figure out how Bitcoin works, UTXOs and management and stuff like that. Um, so that was the first thing I tried tried building. Got to the point where it could receive money, but I couldn't send money out. So it was very, <laughs> very dangerous to use. What happened there? <laughs> I, d- I figured I understood how it worked then. And so I, the project was finished as far as I was concerned. I didn't need to continue on down that path. Wait, wait, why couldn't you send funds? Though? Well, I hadn't written the code for it. So they're just locked in there? Well, I never sent any money to it. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, I think I probably used it on the testnet. And so there's probably some testnet funds in there. Why do you want to learn about Bitcoin specifically? Because Bitcoin's awesome, man. Uh, Bitcoin's the best money ever made, and I, I wanted to be a part of it. Did you realize so, it at that point when you started building? Or Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I had uh, gone all in on Bitcoin in uh, 2017. So all of, all of my money was in Bitcoin. And I had started to learn programming in 2017 and then wanted to uh, apply that knowledge to Bitcoin. What were you doing before that? Uh, before... Starting work on Bitcoin? Before like getting into programming. Oh, uh, I was an Uber driver. Okay. So I was driving around for an Uber, uh, in an Uber car and making money that way and trying to learn programming on the side. What, uh, what programming language did you start with? I started with uh, JavaScript. Uh, and largely I did that because uh, I'd been making websites since, uh, since like before high school. And so I'd learned a little bit of JavaScript from that. Um, so I just kept, kept learning what I already had a s- small foundation in. And then that was, that, that led into, uh, learning how to do Bitcoin stuff. Holy shit. You're doing some pretty cool Bitcoin stuff these days. <laughs> yeah, man. It's good stuff. I mean, we're going some really, I mean, you're demoing next week at Bitcoin 2022 for lightning escrow, which mm-hmm. you're working on with Tristan, um, which is a really cool project. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my that's one of the cool things uh, that I built that I built for me. Um, so, like when I started programming, a lot of what I would get from clients was like, I, I would tell people that I knew how to program. I made a series of YouTube videos on how to do some basic st- basic programming in Bitcoin, and then um, some people started paying me to make software for them. Uh, so, I like I made the voting page on Bitcoin Audible. If you've ever seen that, uh, like you can vote up what you want to be as next topic. Yes, yes, yes. You did that. You did that for guy. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I made that and I did a few similar things like that for clients. Um, and I, I, all along, I wanted to make escrow for the Lightning Network um, because there's no way to do, or there was at the time, no way to do like a two of three multi-sig situation where you can like have you and a third, have, have you, Alice and Bob make a transaction between each other. But if there's any disagreement, you know, Carol can come in and arbitrate the dispute. There was no way to do that without taking custody, but I, but I knew a way to do it. So uh, i no, no one asked me to do it. Like it wasn't something a client came to me and said, I want you to make this. I was like, I'm going to take some time and make this thing that would be really cool. And then now I have a company based around it. How does it work? Uh, so how, how you knew how to do it. You said you went and built it. What did you build? How does this escrow work? Yeah. Lightning escrow works through, um, uh, the, these things called payment hashes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when you send somebody a lightning payment, you put your payment or you put your money into uh, a type of contract called an HTLC hash time lock contract. And the terms of this contract say that, um, like, let's say Alice is paying Bob. Bob can withdraw the money immediately if he provides Alice with uh, something called a pre-image, mm-hmm. um, which is like a random 32-byte string. Um, but it, it serves as a receipt. It's him saying, I, all right, I received the money. 
Um, so he can withdraw the money if he provides that to her. Or she can wait two weeks and then she can take it back if, if he doesn't give her a receipt um, or this pre-image. So what we do is, as Lightning Escrow, we, we create the pre-image. Um, and we don't give it to Bob. And so that Bob creates a uh, HTLC contract for Alice to deposit funds into where Bob can take the money if he gets this pre-image, but he has to get it from us, uh, or he can, or the time's out and Alice can get her money back. Uh, and then we make a determination based on whatever the terms of their contract are. Like, let's say it's delivery of a product. You say, okay, did Alice receive a product? Okay, if she did, then we'll give the pre-image to Bob and he can take his money. Or if there's a dispute, we can investigate and find out what happens. Yes. So Bob sends Alice something over Craigslist or something like that. And mm -hmm. Alice confirms to you, mm -hmm. Lightning Escrow, like, hey, I got it. And then boom, pre-image yep. sent funds sent to Bob. Yeah. Well, the funds are sent to Bob at the beginning, but he can't take them. Yeah. Until he gets the Bob has access to the funds. Yeah. Well, once he gets it from us, he has access to it. Yeah. And so how do you see this type of product evolving? I think right now we have the simple... Um, Bob wants to send Alice goods and get sats in return. Mm -hmm. How does it evolve beyond that? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. You could uh, you can use it in a very similar way to how you can use DLCs, um, mm -hmm. except Lightning Escrow works on on the Lightning Network right now. Um, but yeah, any any time where you have something where uh, where the escrow can come in and, and give a yes or no decision about some real world event or some event happening on the blockchain uh, or in the digital realm then you can have that be the condition by which the money gets sent. So you could, you could, the example DLC people often use is the Super Bowl. You could have Alice send Bob $50, and uh, then when the Super Bowl happens, the escrow checks who won, and if it's the Buccaneers, Bob gets the money, or if it's the Patriots, Alice gets the money, or she gets it back. Um, so you can do basically any DLC type thing with these, which is cool. You can do trading with it, so you could have... Um, uh, what you could have, like, Bob is going to send um, Alice some dollars, and Alice is going to send him some Bitcoin, a $50 trade both ways. And then only if Alice gets the $50 does Bob get the $50 in Bitcoin. Um, but you could, any, anything you can do with DLCs, you can do with Lightning Escrow, except with some limitations that come with doing it on Lightning. That's pretty sweet. What are some of the limitations? Well, the main one is two-week two week timeout. Mm -hmm. um, a lightning invoice can be uh, held for a maximum time of two weeks before it times out. So if you have, uh, if you're trying to bet on uh, the outcome of a presidential election in 2028 or something, <laughs> that wouldn't work because you can't lock up the money for that long. You'd have to use a real DLC for that. Well, even if you wanted to do it for the 2020 election, then uh, that seemed to have extended yeah. longer than many right. people thought. And is that so? Is that two? I never know. And I always knew about the two week limit. Is it 2016 blocks or does it use Unix time and do... Um... 2016 blocks. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. it's addition, It's it's additive. So like if you, if I don't have a direct um, channel with uh, Bob and I'm trying to pay Bob, uh, he, he can only hold the, the, um, the payment for uh, up to 2016 blocks minus however long the time locks are of the, of the hops that are in between us. Mm -hmm. So like if I have... If it's me paying Bob... If it's, if it's me, Bob, Charlie, Dave, and Dave is the one who's trying, who I'm trying to pay, um, Bob and Charlie get to subtract from the 2016 blocks so that, so that they don't have to wait until the very last moment. So, uh, yeah. Do you think this is something that should be changed in Lightning? Can it be changed? Is it no, I, a I don't good think design constraint? Um, 
if people like this software and want to do longer contracts, we could do a fork of lightning. Uh, it would be like a one line change to make the, the long lightning network where you can have longer timeouts. Um, but I don't think the real lightning network needs to change because uh, what re the real lightning network is, is designed for is, is regular payments, not mm -hmm. like what we're trying to use it for. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think that there's a, in addition to that, in addition to we, we could fork it to do that, but um, for, for anything that's really long duration, I, don't, I think they tend to be larger payments. And, and so if you're doing larger payments, lightning's not a benefit to you. It's probably going to cost more to send your large payment over the lightning network than it would be to do it on the base layer. So just use the base layer for that. Yeah. I think my parents own a coffee shop <laughs> and they do large coffee bean buys annually. We'll just buy that um, and then get it delivered throughout the year. So yeah, that makes sense. You just yeah pay lump sum, trying to lock in a price. Um, maybe hedge via futures if you think the price is going to fall. It's fascinating where this can all go. Mm -hmm. uh, like how much do you think we understand about the design landscape of Bitcoin, Lightning? I think what type of applications like are possible that many people probably aren't even thinking about in your mind? Uh, one of the things, one of the cool things you can do with Bitcoin, um, is, uh, import rule sets from other blockchains into Bitcoin so we can use them. Uh, and that's a project that I eventually want to create is, uh, I, I call it multi-sig covenants. Um, but uh, so one of the, one of the rules of Bitcoin is multi-sig where it, let's say you have Alice and Bob and who have a, have money in a multi-sig with each other. Bitcoin's blockchain will, or Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network will look at that and it will say, okay, the only, the only way that I'm going to let these funds move is if Alice and Bob both co-sign on moving these funds. Um, but you can have Bob, let, let's say Bob is, uh, is some kind of service provider. You can have Bob have a rule that he will only co-sign to, to move funds if some additional set of rules are followed. And by having Bob run this service, you can have, uh, you can import rule sets from other blockchains. So I, I, sometimes I call this, you could do Ethereum without Ethereum. Uh, on Bitcoin and have Bob run a run a Ethereum testnet on his machine and then say like, all right, I will only let Alice pay Carol if the Ethereum, this local Ethereum testnet says it's okay. And then you could have that happen on Bitcoin's blockchain natively without needing the Ethereum token or anything. It would just be regular Bitcoins. And that way, if you're using like a testnet subtracted above the multi-sig, it's not really data intensive on-chain. Yeah, you, there would not there would go nothing on Bitcoin's blockchain except the payment. They would just see the signatures. Yeah, of the multi-sig, so just the data associated with that signature. Interesting. Why isn't this more popular? Well, no one's built it yet, um, for one thing, and uh, what, what people have built instead is like side chains, mm -hmm. um, where you have public state, you have uh, which means that like they have a blockchain that you can go and see past transactions and stuff on them, um, and. By doing that, it's kind of similar, but not all. Uh, the, the benefit of using a sidechain is that then not all the transactions go on Bitcoin's blockchain either. So you abstract away more of the data. You, you not only keep the contract logic off chain, but you also keep the payments off chain. So like Rootstock does that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they've done a way of doing basically Ethereum without Ethereum, but you have to use their sidechain construction, which is to me, I, I don't I don't personally use it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I thought of making this uh, alternative where you can do uh, the same thing on Bitcoin's blockchain, but all the payments would happen on Bitcoin as well. So how would this work? You just described it, but <laughs> like tech, like 
Yeah, you. You'd, so we, there would be central. There you'd be a trusted third party. You'd be trusting Bob running. Yeah, the test net. Yeah, and you could federate Bob as well. Okay, so you could have like Bob be ten people, mm-hmm. uh, and five of them have to agree or something like that. Um, but yeah, how how it would work is like Alice would deposit funds into a into a multi sig with Bob, uh, a two of two multi sig, and. Um, the, that money would then, he, he would create a corresponding amount on this test net of Ethereum for her. So that'd be 50, like let's say she deposited 50 Bitcoins. He'd deposit 50 Ether tokens, test net Ether tokens into an address on the test net. And then now say Alice wants to send money to Charlie. Um, he would create a similar address on the, uh, for Charlie. And he would take whatever script that uh, Alice wants to use um, to send money to Charlie, run it through the Ethereum virtual machine on the test net. And if it says it's a go, then he co-signs the transaction on Bitcoin. And now the money goes over to Bob's address. Um, but it's all, but it was done using Ethereum logic, uh, which would be pretty cool. Or at least it would be cool if you like Ethereum logic. If you don't like Ethereum logic, then you'd be like, well, this is stupid. Why would you ever want to <laughs> import that rule set? But you could import any rule set, right? You could import yeah. Liquid's rule set, uh, which some people like better. Or you could do... I don't know. I don't know if there were any others. Privacy is a big about. thing. Right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But it wouldn't, that wouldn't make it more private though. Cause you could still see the Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Could you lock it up there and then transact on that layer? Hmm. Well, I've never heard this. Make it so that the payments would all happen on Bitcoin. Yeah. And they would be, cause that's the, the, the only difference between doing this and doing a full side chain would be that instead of recording the payments on the side chain, you'd record them only on, you'd record them on Bitcoin. Yeah. How many payment? Like how? What would that do for payments volume? Though, it would, if it, would it was be, widely used, it would greatly increase payments volume. Yeah, but I, eventually, I want to make this. This isn't something I've made yet. This is an idea I've had because there's been a lot of talk in Bitcoin about covenants. Um, oh yes, OpCTV and OpTX hash and a bunch of other and Op, any priv out and other proposals for covenants. But we have them. We we already have covenants in Bitcoin. They're they're multi sig covenants where as long as you have a third party who is. Uh, who won't co-sign unless the rules of the covenant are enforced, then you've got them. Well, this is a very interesting design space to explore because there are many people who think it's going to be very hard to get another soft fork. Yes, like CTV, OpCTV, um, which Jeremy Rubin's been working on, has been very, I don't want to say controversial, but people are like, do we really need it? And like, Check the mailing list these days. There's a lot of OpCTV talk. My, my theory is that it wouldn't be very, uh, it wouldn't initially be much used if we did have it. Why is that? Well, because we we currently have covenants in Bitcoin, and we don't use them. So if we got if we got another another covenant proposal in here, would it, I don't know if that would like I would like to see the, the covenants we currently have get used, and then we could implement something better in, in order to in order to make them um, in order to make it better. But if we're not even using them right now, what we have, I don't I don't foresee that we would start using them if we did get the better thing. So why don't you think people are using them now? Um. I don't, uh, I, th- I suppose that if you do all of the payments on a side chain, which is what we do have instead, it's cheaper. And that's probably why if anyone who's interested in doing these types of things probably uses one of the side chains designed for it. Um, and the developers of those things are probably better developers than I am. So they make these, they made, they, they probably thought through, should we do all the payments on Bitcoin? And like, well, if all the logic is not on Bitcoin, why put the payments on Bitcoin? We can have you deposit funds into the side chain and then get them out later instead of having every single payment recorded on Bitcoin. And then they made that. So, so now that's what's available and it's what people use instead. Yes. 
Do people even use that towel? Like, does anybody use liquid? Like, it's all Coinbase transactions on there. I don't know. Uh, I I've I don't I don't know if anyone uses liquid. Is liquid even technically a side chain? Let's define side chains here. Like that's uh, it's really interesting. Like, the debates. I'm not. I'm asking rhetorical questions. Like that's uh, yeah. All, all we have in Bitcoin are crappy side chains. Yeah. Um. But we it would be great if we had better ones. Then we could then we could do better stuff on them. Maybe more people would use them. Well, that's a big question. Like, do we need to do better stuff? Like, is there is there has there just been this induced FOMO by the the altcoin space where it's like, look at all the like, there's all the attentions over here. Like, we need Chris Stewart, very good friend, been on the podcast many times. He believes this. Mm -hmm. Like, look, there are all the demands over here. Um, but like, is it actual demand or are people just chasing a quick buck? Um, is my question in is chasing a quick buck actual demand and it's like I would like it if uh, the, my opinion on this question is that I would like it if instead of doing all that stuff on Ethereum if they were doing it on Bitcoin and then all those transaction fees that Ethereum miners are getting Bitcoin miners would get them and it would help secure our network as a Bitcoin miner I would like that as well yeah so that's I, I would like that future is, is one where all the all the cool stuff that people do on alt chains or even the not cool stuff, even the dumb stuff. Let's bring all that over to Bitcoin and we'll be the chain that people use for weird, dumb experiments and DeFi scams and stuff like that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. What do you think DeFi is? Do you think it's decentralized finance or the great definancialization? It's a poorly defined term uh, for sure. And I don't I don't think it, there is a good I don't think there is a good definition for it. Um, none of the stuff that happens on Ethereum is decentralized because Ethereum's not decentralized. Um, so, so all the things that get called a DeFi aren't super. You're going to trigger some, some, some of the meth heads that listen to this show. Well, all right. <laughs> no one ever got hurt by being a little triggered. No. So, no, but uh, yeah. So, so I don't think that the things that get called decentralized finance aren't actually, and uh, I, that's not good. Yeah, and I'm actually like skeptical that we need all those exotic, collateralized, yield-seeking. No, we don't need them. Right? Like, oh, for sure. They're definitely not needed. I would like them to happen on Bitcoin, though. If, if people are gonna, if people are gonna chase yield or whatever, let's at least have them pay transaction fees to our miners. That that'd be my preference. Uh, my as a miner too. Yes, I would like. I would like those fees. Send the fees our way. Yeah. I just feel like we're at a point, again, like I was trying to get to earlier, I just don't think we understand how this is going to evolve and how we're going to use Bitcoin moving forward. We're still at like the, this huge, um, what's the movie? What's the movie? You, all I have to go on is that there's something huge in it. It's like so. the monkeys like hitting the big black sphere. It's 2001 Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey, yeah. We're still at that phase. We're like, Ooh. What is this? Yeah, what do we do with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the monkeys. For sure. <laughs> me, me too. Me too. So recently, I made this thing called Whisper Addresses. Yeah, that's why. I mean, that's why we're here. Which has already caused people to lose money. So that's <laughs> not that's not the way to. That's what? not what this fear is for. What, what happened? All right. First, let's <laughs> describe because I think it's really cool and novel. You described it to me in person, um, the week after you you did it at the hackathon. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was before BitDevs uh, or after BitDevs when you elaborate on it. Like, why did you decide to work on this particular 
project? What does it do? Well, it all started with BIP 47. Um, so there's this, there's this Bitcoin improvement proposal that was released in like 2015 for doing, for get, getting reusable Bitcoin addresses without the problems that come with reusing a Bitcoin address. Yeah. Justice, uh, Ravenous, what's his name? I don't, I don't know what the name was of the guy who was this, created Bit47. Yeah. She turned into like a Bcash or BSV, but oh, okay. Bit47 is really cool. Bit47 is great. Um, so this, what this proposal is, is that you, you use address tweaking, which is this thing you can do in Bitcoin where if I give you a pub key, you can add some data to it and make a new pub key. Uh, and if I add that same data to my priv, priv key, it, I'll be able to move the funds that are at that pub key, the, the one you made, the tweaked one. Um, so they, they use this protocol called key tweaking to make, so you give somebody a pub key and then whenever they want to send you a payment, they tweak it and send money into the tweaked address. That way you're not reusing the Bitcoin address. Uh, and then they need some way to to tell you what, what they did to it. So you can do the same thing to your private key in order to get the private key to that tweaked address. Uh, and what Bib47 says is that you should put it in an op return. It's like you put the tweak in an op return on Bitcoin's blockchain and make it reusable so you can... You only have to do it once, and then any other time that you are going to pay them or they're going to pay you, you can re, you can like hash the tweak or whatever. And you know that that opportunity, I mean, obviously, the opportunity is going to include it in transactions, getting included in blocks, it's getting built on. And there's no way that you can manipulate the opportunity. Like you can mm -hmm. tweak the address. Like once you tweak the address, it automatically goes into the opportunity in this protocol, right? Like there's no way to tweak the address and then put like a dummy tweak in the opportunity. Uh, I suppose you could put an invalid tweak, but then person wouldn't get the money and you would lose it. Yeah. So that would, that would not be great. No. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool protocol um, that use, so uh, I, I should have said what Bitcoin op returns are. They're, um, they're, they're a way to add data to the, like random data to a Bitcoin transaction. Some, some people used to use them for memos. So you could like send somebody a payment and you'd put this, this thing called op return, which would have like, this is for lunch or whatever. And then that would be recorded on the blockchain forever. Um, so people stopped using them. For that. Very, very controversial. Uh, op returns are in general, not just op return. Yeah. Um, people do op returns for like marriage engagements and births and love poetry. Love poetry. I believe somebody like wrote some information about the Tiananmen Square massacre using op return in in uh, in in Chinese, which is a great form of protest. But op returns in general, Satoshi had a lot more op returns in the protocol when it initially launched and a couple of years, maybe not even a couple of years, but pretty early on into the development process, developers are like, Hey, these op returns can either create like doom loops or just create an insane amount of data. That's going to be, need to be stored in the perpetuity. Yeah. And they still do. You, you still can put lots of data in op returns and then make people store it forever. Yeah. Or you can, Remove them though. Like when you're syncing the blockchain, you can tell it to ignore. Well, that's what Grubles was saying. Because uh, speaking of Bit Forty Seven op return, you had uh, the Synonym team, Corey Phillips, uh, use op return the Omni like so Omni layer leverages op return and he uses Omni and op return to bring Tether to Lightning. And I noticed Grubles and John Carvalho were going at it on Twitter. Um, and Groupas was saying, why would you put a stablecoin or create a token, use an op return that can be ignored by users? Yeah, you could prune the blockchain so that you don't have the historical op returns and then remove the 
uh, re remove the the new ones from your UTXO set so you don't keep them either, and then you can ignore them. But you do have to process them. So I guess you can't can't ignore them entirely. Well, that was the question I had in that particular back and forth. It was like, if you prune and you ignore them, you're not out of consensus though. At the end of the day, like like at the like it doesn't like if you want to prune and ignore them, you're most likely not using them, transacting with them. So. It's yeah. not gonna matter for you. It's like you can't you can't ignore if if you're trying to be in consensus with, the, with everyone else in the blockchain, you can't ignore things like where coins are at, because so, someone like if you say I'm gonna ignore addresses that start with ABC, for example, someone might try to spend that, and then you'd be like, no, I ignored that. I don't believe those coins exist. But you, but it's safe to do it with op returns because they're not actually money; they're just text. Yeah. So you can't like spend them in the future or anything, and so you can ignore them, knowing that no one will be able to. Like move them to somewhere else or something later. Yeah. Oh, that's, what are your thoughts? Like, obviously, you're building with like right. So back to bit forty-seven. Back to bit forty-seven. I was I was reading through the protocol and I got to the part where they put the uh, the tweak in an op return, and I I didn't under I didn't quite understand why why they were doing that or what they were doing that for, and it seemed a little bit at the time I didn't understand how to do the cryptography they use because they use like encryption and stuff. Um. So I was like, well, I understand why BIP47 is cool. It's because you can give somebody one thing and then they can reuse that to send you money without the privacy problems that come with normally reusing a Bitcoin address. So I was like, well, that, that part's cool, but I don't understand why they're putting it in an op return and then they're encrypting it and stuff. And I was like, I wonder if I can make a thing where you don't, where you don't do that, where, where you just send it to them in an email. Um, so I did and I tested it and it worked. And I was like, oh, cool. I made a new thing. Um, and that's what I presented at the hackathon. I was like, this is a way to do basically the same thing as BIP47, um, but without the, putting that data on the blockchain. Uh, and it received pretty good attention. People seemed to like it. And then, and then like this guy put it on his website, uh, Carr did, and people started losing money right away. <laughs> it's like, oh, now I understand why BIP47 was done the way it did. How do people start losing money? Uh, well, because they would not either they wouldn't send the email or they would like refresh the page or something and then send the email. So, so what we do in Whisper addresses is we uh, you put some JavaScript on your page that will will do this tweaking thing for you. So it'll it'll get your public key from whatever address that you uh, decided that you want to use for this protocol. Um, you put some JavaScript on a page that will tweak it, and then the person it, it tells it gives the person instructions and says sorry send send money to this tweaked Bitcoin address. And then hit this email button and it'll fire off an email to, you know, car or whoever's running it uh, and tell, it'll tell them what the tweak was so you can, so they can tweak their private key. Um, and it works great when I was testing it. I was like, oh, great. I can send the, send the email or I could put the money in, send the email and, and fire it off. Um, but he put it on his website and he gets, he gets an email from someone who says, this is super cool. You know, here's, here's your whisper key. And he plugs, plugs it in, He tweaks his private key and gets the Bitcoin address and there's nothing in it. And uh, I was just like, oh, well, where'd the money go? And what probably happened, I, have, I don't know who sent the email, so I haven't asked, uh, asked him if this happened, but I imagine that he like sent the email first and then like came back to the page later and tried to send money to the address thinking it was the same, like, oh, these are reusable addresses. But every time you visit the page, it, it creates a new Bitcoin address. So, it's, so the, he sent money to one that he didn't, hadn't sent the whisper key to. He had, like he did, he did them with two different addresses, as I imagine what happened. So there's Bitcoin out there. It's just in a different address. It's in some Bitcoin address that, that will never be. But that be. tweak is um, not, yeah. So not the, the browser discards it 
if you don't save it. Yeah. So he presumably whoever did it like went went to a different page or something. Anyway, this is bad. <laughs> don't use <laughs> don't use whisper addresses till this is addressed. Um, but yeah, the the um, people will easily lose funds because like they didn't follow instructions or whatever. Because the instructions say don't refresh the page, don't leave, don't don't come. Like you have to do it like right away. Send the money, send the tweak. Um, but he didn't. So how he's gone. How do you plan on addressing this UX hurdle? Uh, it's a good question. There's been some proposals for how to do it. Like, um, the the most obvious solution would be to not discard them um, when the browser, whenever they leave the page. So every time they generate one, you would store it locally uh, on their on their browser, like in a cookie, and then. And if if they come back to the page later, the page could like look up their cookies, see if there's a whisper key in there, and if it if it has money in it, or if if the corresponding Bitcoin address has money in it, then it just has them reset send that one to the recipient instead of a new one, or sh show them that or something. Um, so that would be an easy win, uh, is not discard them immediately. Uh, another one would be um, uh, have an automatic email that fires like. So, so right now the, the page loads and there's a new Bitcoin address on it. Um, and it, after it, it tells you click here to send an email to the person. So someone suggested instead of that, don't show a Bitcoin address, make them click a button that says show a Bitcoin address. And when they click it, then it fires off the email. Like, so it does both at the same time, shows the Bitcoin address and fires off the email at the same time. That would possibly help, help address it. Um, so those are some things you can do. What is whisper address? I mean, obviously reusable paper. Like, how does this help? Like, how does it, if this is all fleshed out, brought to market, like what, what does it do for a user's privacy? Like, how does it help? Yeah. So there are three things that I try to think about mainly when it comes to protecting people's privacy in Bitcoin. And that's, you don't want someone who's looking at the blockchain to be able to figure out who the sender was. You don't want them to be able to figure out who the recipient was. And you don't want them to be able to figure out what the amount was that was sent. Those, those are the three things that I think of as the data we want to protect. Um, whisper addresses help with the second one. They help with pr protecting the identity of the recipient. And the reason they do is, um, well, it's, it's something that happened with the truckers in Canada in just recently, when, whenever that was, 20, was it at the end of 2021 or was that this year already? It was this year. It's been wow. a long year. It has been. It's been moving. Time flies. Anyway, the... There were people who wanted to donate to these protesters in Canada who were illegally protesting. And uh, part of the solution was like somebody made a website where they had a Bitcoin address and you could send money into that. And then they promised to disperse it to the uh, to the truckers, uh, which worked pretty well. Like they, that was the only thing that actually got the money because everything else was banned, banned by the government, but they couldn't ban Bitcoin. But what happened was that like you'd go to this address and it was the a fixed address they were reusing over and over. And um, and the, the police went there and they, they found that address and then they told exchanges, if anyone tries to cash out the money that's, that's been in this address, don't, don't let them like, confiscate it and give it to us instead because then we know they're an illegal trucker or whatever. Um, so it, this, is, this has been a solved problem in Bitcoin for a long time. We've known this was possible and it's why we recommend against reusing Bitcoin addresses. Um, but it's, it, sometimes it's hard on users who want to receive money to know what they're supposed to do in order not to reuse an address. Like, like you have to run BTC pay and then give it an XPUB and it'll cycle through each address and give it, give it a different one every time. 
or use BIP47, which requires special wallets because not every wallet knows how to do op returns, stuff like that. So I was like, but it shouldn't. I wondered if there was a way to make something where you could just copy paste, copy paste something like, like they, like the guy who made this website just copy pasted a Bitcoin address onto it. I wondered maybe we can make something that you can copy paste and put on a website and it'll show a new address every time. And then you won't know who the recipient is. Like if the police go and go to that website, they'll be generating new addresses too. And they won't be able to, if they blacklist them, it'll be fine because there's nothing in them. But everyone who actually wants to donate will put money into an address that the police have never seen before and then send the whisper key to the, uh, to the recipient. So I thought that was a pretty cool idea and I made the thing and it uh, kind of works. If you don't like, if you do everything right, it works. But uh, yeah, so that, that was the idea though, is to protect the identity of the recipient by making it easy to not reuse addresses and not have to like, because uh, one of the problems is like someone who, if you, when they made that website, Telecoin, um, for him to support like XPubs, the, the, the other way to do this is with XPubs or another way to do it is with XPubs. Uh, he has to run BTC Pay on that server in order to cycle through all the addresses that are in the XPub. And that is that requires him to have access to the server that it's running on, the ability to install software on it, and, and then hook up the BTC Pay API to the front end. But not every website can do that. Like, I mean, Carr, his website runs on Ghost. There's a lot of people running on like WordPress.com or Blogger or these other platforms where they can't access and install software on the server. So, but they, they still want to accept Bitcoin, but they don't have access to the, the tools they need in order to do it properly. Um, so I thought whisper addresses might be usable there. Right? And I still think they might if, if I fix them. Uh, they might be usable on those websites because all they have to do is copy paste, some, copy paste some code and put it on their front end. They don't have to run anything on their back end. And then they'll, have, uh, they'll be able to receive Bitcoin with a new address every time. It'll help protect the identity of the recipient. Yeah. This is a novel way. I never thought of it like, because BIP 47, using op return on, like taking that off the chain, making it easy people for people. Like, yeah, it's just, is it an XPUB at the end of the day? Like, is the tweak? No, the, the tweak is, um, but it, it, it uses the same technology as XPUBs because XPUBs are also a public key and tweak instructions. Like that when you, if you decode the, an XPUB. Okay. Uh, which is, it's a string that we sometimes send people in Bitcoin. It starts with X pub, X, the word X and then the word pub, and then a long string of random numbers and letters. What's in there is uh, a, a pub key, a Bitcoin pub key, and then instructions for how to tweak it. And your software created those instructions. So it knows automatically, like as long as they tweak it following these instructions, it'll be able to recover those funds because it told them what to do. Um, it's it's it just knows to it, it if it if it itself follows the instructions that they followed all all will be well, um, so that's how XPubs work. But um, I forget I forget what you asked now. Like is the tweak of a bit forty seven similar like to an XPub? Yeah, so it uses it uses the same technology, but it's actually probably better because you don't have to jump forward. Uh, what so what they the only difference between that as far as I'm aware the only difference between a bit forty seven tweak instructions and an XPUB's tweak instructions is that BIP47 tells you you need to put this on the blockchain unless you've already done that. Like if, if this is the first time sending money to whoever, you have to put the, your tweak information on the blockchain. Uh, and that, that's fine for, for, many, for many purposes. Like I, I think BIP47 is great and it's way better than Whisper addresses and everyone should use BIP47 instead. Um, if you can find a wallet that supports it, 
But there's a bit of implementation complexity with it because your wallet has to know how to put op returns on the blockchain. It can't be a normal Bitcoin address because normal Bitcoin addresses don't involve op returns. So you have to like get a custom encoding scheme and then a wallet that knows how to parse it and then follow those instructions, which is a bit, a bit of work to implement. Uh, and don't get me wrong, it's better because then you don't lose money. But I wanted to make something where you could see a normal Bitcoin address and pay it with a normal Bitcoin wallet. And your wallet didn't have to know that it was doing anything special. And that was why, that was another reason why I made it. Yeah, I like that a lot, reducing friction. It seems like the UX side of things could be a solvable problem. Like, it seems like you're very close. Maybe. Um, the, the, more I, the more I try to solve it, the more it's going to become like the existing things that are already wet better than it. Um, but yeah, well, it'll be like... Why do you say that? Well, because with, with whisper keys, you have to, um, when you receive a whisper key, you've got to add it, add it to your private, you've got to tweak your private key by it and then, and then get the funds out of that, uh, out of the resulting address. Um, but the, hang on, I, I forgot again. You asked me, how is mine going to become the same as the things yeah, yeah, that are better yeah. than it? Right. So that's, that's like what an XPUB does. Is it, uh, but an XPUB already knows the tweak information in advance because it tells the person what to tweak it by. Yeah. Um, so what I was thinking, another thing that I was thinking of doing was, um, and the, this is part of the reason I say it's going to become like theirs, is I was thinking of writing some software that you could run on as the recipient of the money uh, that would listen for whisper keys and uh, at, an, at some end point, and the user could like, when, when the user goes to pay you, their browser would automatically fire off the whisper key to your, to your listener, and then your listener would uh, tweak, tweak the Bitcoin, your private key by whatever the whisper key is, and then try and get the money out of it. And that would work, but then you're, that's the same thing as running BTC pay on your server, is it, you'd just be running my software yeah. instead. So this is kind of pointless. Like, I'm not actually solving anything if I do it that way. And the, my purpose was to make it so you didn't have to run any additional software on your server in order yeah. to do this. So that's, that's an example of how it becomes the same thing. Stuff gets very complicated very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of BTC Pay Server and Ghost, we're working on a, an out-of-the-box solution for that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Sweet. Tell me, tell me more, Marty. How does that work? <laughs> I mean, we already have it uh, on our site. Uh, we've integrated it. Our, our lead dev, a TFTC DJ, DJ Seeds. Shout out DJ Seeds. Um a fucking bench. And he, he made it so you can like hook up your umbral to ghost and then receive money on there or something like that. Yeah, now we yeah, we're running BTC pay server on a personal server and it, yeah, we've connected it to ghost. Like if you go to tftc.io slash contribute. I don't Logan, can you pull that up on the screen or um we have our our donation page. What's that? Contribute. We got Lo Logan switched out car. Car had to take a call. Um, but uh, yeah, so you see here, uh, car still got the disregard this side of the screen. But yeah, I can see here if you click on one of those donate, maybe I'll money launder right now and send myself five dollars. Boom. On Ghost. Is this what you're talking about? When you're thinking about like Ghost integration? Uh, yeah, I, I think that that is that is really cool. Uh, of course, you have to run BTC Pay somewhere. Yeah, exactly. For this to work. Yeah. Um, which is great. You should do that and not use Whisper addresses. But the the whole the whole point of them was for people who like 
they they set up a website and they they want to be able to receive Bitcoin payments on it. But if you tell them you've also got to run BTC Pay, and they're like, there's a monthly fee in order to do that, or else I have to somehow talk to Tor and I have to make some kind of proxy, and it becomes very challenging for someone. Yes. So that that my whole idea was, what if we could just copy paste? You could go to a website, generate one of these. This makes a lot whisper more codes, and then put it on your website, and you're good. Which works, you can do it, but just you're going to lose money because no one. You're not going to lose money. The possibility of losing money is increased. So the, the first time someone used it, they lost money. <laughs> so I'm very confident that it's not currently in a serviceable condition, despite how cool it seems. Well, I had a question I was going to ask. I just completely lost my train of thought. But um, it's. Pushing the edges of like the design. Oh, that's, I remember what I was going to ask. When you were telling me about it, you said you had a conversation with Ben the Carman about how Taproot may be able to help. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a guy who proposed something called reusable Taproot addresses. And they put the tweak information uh, in, a, um, in an input. So like, so when, you send, when you send a Bitcoin in a transaction, you have to have inputs and outputs. And the, the inputs are uh, like, what addresses are you sending money out of? And then the outputs are what, what addresses you're sending money to. Um, but Taproot lets you have, lets you create Bitcoin addresses that have tweaks in them already. So it was, someone proposed, you make one of these uh, inputs that has tweak information in it. And then the recipient can, um, can, can look through your, the, the inputs to your transaction. because you can see them on the blockchain and get the tweak from them, which is cool. Because then, you don't need, uh, you don't need anything in an op return because the tweak information is already in the, like the the address that you're sending that sent you money, so or one the, of the addresses that sent you money. So the tweaks included in the back thirty two address. Yeah, I probably got some of that wrong. <laughs> uh, it might be that it has to be in the pub key and not the address, or it might be that it has to be in the transaction ID instead of the. But it's something to do with the input. You put yeah. you put it in the input there. But this is the beauty of like transactions on the blockchain, right? Like, cause you can, you don't have the problem that your first user of whisper addresses had where they probably refreshed a browser and their tweak was gone. Like if it's including in the transaction, that transaction's included in a block, you have the public ledger. You can always go back and like, here, here mm -hmm. it is. Like, I'm never going to lose this. There's tens of thousands of people keeping a copy of it on their server. If I remember right, the guy who proposed the taproot tweak because one of the problems with with uh, with using the with with putting the tweak and not not putting it in an op return uh, is that the, the in order for the recipient to get the money he has to he has to like scan the blockchain for every Bitcoin address ever or for every Bitcoin payment ever and see if it was to him because um, because it's not going to one of the addresses that are in his like that are in his xpub. Somebody something. tweaked it, and so. somebody, yeah, somebody tweaked it and made it made a new address. So he's got to go through and re redo the tweak process for every Bitcoin address that since he created his wallet that sent money, and see if the resulting tweaked address is one is one that he can recover that he can get the private key to. Um, so the I think the guy who proposed Taproot tweaks said that for the initial one you would tell him somehow, so similar to Whisper keys, you'd like email him or something. I'm probably getting some of this wrong, but. Uh, but there was some kind of communication that had to occur in order for him to, um, in order for you to know uh, what your what your tweak was. But then every subsequent one, you could reuse it. 
because uh, that's one of the cool things that Bit 47 figured out is how to reuse them, which I haven't figured that part out yet. Um, so that was cool, uh, but if but it still requires some kind of initial communication. I think it happens in their pr protocol before any money is sent, though. Mm -hmm. Like you first tell them what it's going to be, and then you tweak it, and then send the money. Anyway, uh, Ruben Thompson just the other day he came out with one that doesn't require communication, uh, but. Was that secret keys? Secret silent payments. Silent payments, that's what it was. But his is the one where, because they don't tell you which address to look for, uh, now you have to scan them all. Okay. So then that makes it uh, a challenge for anyone who's not running a full node. Like if you have a, a, a Bitcoin wallet on your phone, it probably wouldn't be able to do that because there's too many Bitcoin addresses and it's too much math for your phone to do. But a node could do it because it's on all the time and it sees all the payments coming in anyway. Yeah. This is fascinating stuff. Are these solvable problems? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're solvable. It seems like we're getting, like, did you inspire Ruben to go do this? And then. I think so. I, di I didn't ask him if I inspired him, but I, I told him about, like, when I made Whisper, Whisper addresses, I told him, he was his one of the Telegram channels I hang out in, and I mentioned it there. I was like, look, I made this. Can everyone retweet this or whatever? And he was like, this is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> we can do better. He was like, I came up with this idea called silent payments. And then a few days later, he announced that on Twitter, which is good because maybe I, I think I helped inspire him to at least make his announcement. Yeah. But he said he'd already had it. He, he already had this idea a while back and just needed to write it up. Yeah. So. Let's, put, let's keep pushing the limits. Let's see. Because we need to solve this problem. Like, what do you, like, obviously, you're thinking about privacy. Mm -hmm. Um. You've mentioned Bitcoin's the greatest money in the world. I'm like, we need sound money. I think sound money will incentivize private. Like, I think there's an order of operations to all this. I think we need to preserve the uh, assurances of Bitcoin's monetary policy, ensure that as many individuals as possible can download the chain state, and then ensure that people can transact privately. One of the difficulties with sound money is that it makes a lot of noise. As the, name, as the name implies. So, Why do you say that? Well, just I, I, that's yeah, a, it's like ding. you could you can just see all the time that this person sent money to this person in this amount. Yes, that's that's the noise that I'm trying to conceal. So I, I want to have sound money that's also quiet. Sound money is it possible? Is it a pipe dream? Well, I mean, no, it's not. It's not a pipe dream. We because there are, there are protocols that do it well. Like you can use coin joins to hide the recipient, or yeah, and you can use lightning to hide the sender. You can use pay joins to hide the amount, uh, and you can avoid address reuse through Bit Forty Seven. So we've got all the we've got all the tools, but we need, or I, I would I would like them to be easier to use um, altogether. I think they have gotten easier over time. Again, mm -hmm. that's the other thing. I think they will continue to get better. When you, um, this is like you pushing it forward, Ruben pushing it forward. When you get Ruben on the show, I've never had him on the show. That'd be um, great. Yeah. Um, the uh, I think uh, maybe I think people are impatient. They want everything out of the box at once, and um, I can just hear people yelling at me in the background, Marty. Like we need it now, but it's like you got to be patient with this. this. Is a a very important project. You don't want to do anything hastily. Again, like. Let me tell you a story. Um, I wanted 
to tell people about BIP47 a while back and encourage them to use wallets that support it. So I went to, um, I don't want to say this actually happened. Imagine, imagine this scenario happened. But I go up to one of my friends and I say, you should use Samurai Wallet or you should use uh, Sparrow Wallet because they support BIP47 and it'll help your privacy. And then my imaginary friend in this scenario says, well, that's great, but I like Blue Wallet. So I'll wait till Blue Wallet adds support and then, and then I'll use the, the privacy thing. This scenario is one that I imagine happening and it bugs me. So, Why does it bug you? Well, that's it's probably not fairly bugs me, but it does because, uh, and I think the reason why is like, in my mind, um, using various Bitcoin wallets that have the features you want is, is great because it allows you to get the features you want. Um, but I think there, there's some kind of brand loyalty that, that happens in, in, among some Bitcoiners where they're like, well, that's not my wallet though. So I'm not going to use that protocol that helps my privacy because it's not my wallet. Well, um, I want to call it loyalty. I'd call it laziness. I'm a lazy Bitcoin user. Where once I get something that works for me, I'm like, all right. Mm-hmm. I like Blue Wallet. That's I like Blue Wallet too. It's great, and it has some of the features I want. Right? Like, I I really like that it has a marketplace built into the thing where I can go and find the apps I want to use. Um, that's wonderful. So I so I've used it. You know. But I, but I also use other wallets that have other features that it doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, it's I like use, complimentary, you know? I use Samurai Wallet, too, and run yeah. multiple nodes. So is it, um, is it necessary, or I, it's, not, it's probably not, I think the answer is no, but is it necessary to get all the wallets to support all the features? Or is it good, or is it an, another approach is to uh, educate users about all the different features available on all the wallets, and then they can pick from among them to get the feature set they want? Yeah, I think the latter makes a lot of sense. That's what we try to do here. Mm-hmm. Actually, one thing I'm very excited for, like, what do you think about BDK thinking about merging Bit47 support into that? So I think that's actually massive, where you create the potential for wallets to easily add mm-hmm. Bit47 if they're building on BDK. Which I hope that happens. I don't know of any wallets that are currently using BDK as their backend. Hopefully, as we move forward, that'll be... I'm, I'm sure someone's going to make one that uses it. And then, yeah. that, then they'll have Bib 47 right out of the box because they used a tool. They used a library that already has it. Yeah. Why aren't people using BDK, do you think? Well, the wallet, all the wallets came out already and then BDK comes out. And yeah. like, now it's easier to make a wallet. Yeah. We've already got 2,000 wallets. So, How many wallets do we need? I don't know. Um, wallets are as many as you want. The nice thing about wallets is that just additional ways of interacting with the with Bitcoin, uh, with Bitcoin's blockchain. Uh, and so it's just, it's just how many interfaces do you need? Do you, need? You, you only need one, but it's nice to have as many as you want so that you can get ones with all with different buttons. Exactly. No, that's what, uh, again, I think we're so early. I don't think people even understand how we're going to be interacting with us or what using Bitcoin apps is going to gonna be in like a decade it's gonna be completely different than it is now look back and laugh Mm -hmm. i mean just like we look back and laugh now like how people were using bitcoin in 2012 like spinning up a wallet from bitcoin core writing down private key like letters and numbers a string of letters and numbers with uppercase and lowercase and that's how people were backing up wallets. now it's much easier yeah now you write down 12 words yes (laughs) (laughs) we still write things down in bitcoin yes but it's much easier than like, like I actually remember doing that. Like 
the, the uppercase, lowercase, like, all right, how do I make sure that my penmanship articulates that this is uppercase, this is lowercase, this is a letter, this is a number. When I first got into Bitcoin, I used paper wallets to hold my funds. Uh, and they were they were being phased out. Everyone was saying, don't use paper wallets anymore. But I put like $1,000 on a, on a paper wallet QR code and I would, I put, I made I put it back up and put it in my parents' house. And then I carried the, carried the QR code of the private key in my pocket. Like I put it in my wallet <laughs> and whenever I wanted to spend money, I would take it out, scan it. I would import the private key into my wallet, send off the money and then delete it, delete that wallet. And it worked. Um, but one day I lost, like I opened up my wallet to get the thing out and it wasn't there and it had come out and fallen on the ground somewhere. Did anybody sweep it? No, because they probably, at the time, they probably wouldn't know what to do if they just saw a random QR code on the ground. Uh, maybe now they would sweep it because they'd probably figure it out. Yeah. Bitcoin's much more popular now. But at the time, no one knew. I, it didn't get swept. And so I called my parents and said, can you go get my backup, which I had to tell them where it was. I was like, and then read me the private key that's on the backup. And they, over the phone, they're like, okay, the first letter is capital A. You know, and so on for the however long it was. <laughs> for the 64 characters, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. But they, when we did it, it didn't take that long. It took maybe five minutes. And yeah. then I had, I re restored my funds. There's no, ma there's no, there's nothing more magical than restoring your funds from like a wallet you just downloaded. It's like, huh, do you want to create a new seed or import from seed? You go import from seed. You put it in. It's like, oh, my money's here. Yeah. That's the beauty of Bitcoin. That is magical. But usually you only use it when you're, when you're like doing OPSEC checks. And it, for me, I actually had to do it once. Actually restore from a backup. And it was fun. Yeah. I had to do it. I had to do it once. Um. I've told this story on the podcast before, but yeah, I was down in like the Virgin Islands and spent too much money, needed cash, had a private key. And there you go. Restored, moved the funds. At the time, I was using Coinbase. Sold it for some cash. I was able to go out and party. There you go. Probably shouldn't have gone out and partied. Probably shouldn't have sold that Bitcoin, but you live and you learn. Yeah. Um, well, it's, that's what it's there for, though, right? I mean, it's, it, if you have savings, you usually have savings, partly so you have more money in the future, but also partly so you have a rainy day fund. Yes. And if you're in the Virgin Islands and there's a need for the cash, that's why you have it. Yeah, you can get it. You can access it anywhere. And honestly, if you haven't done it yet, Freeze, you're listening to this, and you're like, I, like, I get Bitcoin, but I sort of get it. But I re really don't get the beauty, really don't get the beauty, in my opinion, until recover from seed your money just shows up in a different wallet than than you send it to um i have something inspiring to say inspire us i, th I think it's going to be inspiring i came up with it so that i could inspire your listeners and i hope it works um and it's uh i'm going to start by an analogy which is that um uh, i have a friend who's making a desk and it's a really cool desk he like he got the wood together and he stuck them together and he planed it and then he lacquered it and he, and he made he's, he's in the process of making this really cool desk and it's great i've seen it it's a wonderful thing um probably there are better desks and i'm not his, this is great i don't want to offend him by saying this but probably there are better desks out there but that didn't stop him you know he wasn't like i'm not going to make a desk because there's already better ones out there and so i want this to be the the inspiring lesson i want to say is that make something with bitcoin right 
make something with Bitcoin software. And it doesn't have to be the best thing. Like Bit47 is better than Whisper addresses and everyone should use that. But I made Whisper addresses anyway. And I'm proud of it, right? It, I know it's not the best thing. And I know that people are losing money with it. But, I, <laughs> but it's mine. I made it. You know, I made this thing. So don't let that, that fear that I will make something and it won't be the best thing or there's already better things. Do it anyway. Make something and you'll be proud of it and it'll be cool. That's that's what I think is inspiring. I co-signed this message. I can't write too good, though I, I write a daily newsletter. I know it's not going to be the best newsletter. I know it's not going to be the most articulate content, but I'm proud of it. I like putting it out there. Yeah. It's yeah. not Bitcoin software. It's nowhere near as important as something like Whisper addresses. But like, I agree, go build something. Go create. That's what the world's lost creativity. Many people in the world. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Are, is there more creativity happening now? Or was there more creativity happening in early 1900s. I don't know. I think, I mean, it's certainly different creativity, but have you ever watched the, the show, the Nick, for some reason, my mind went straight to the Nick. I've not even heard of the show, the Nick. Well, it was on Showtime. It was, uh, star characters or star actors, Clive Owen, the best actor to ever live. And it basically is set in early 1900s. Manhattan and the hospital scene around then. And for some, when you said early 1900s creativity, this is it's based on like true stories too. Like the creativity of the doctors, like they uh, figured out a way to like do C-section or no C-sections go back all the way back to C-section. They figured out a way to do C-sections in a way that like would reduce the likelihood of blood, uh, like having like a, like a, crazy loss of blood sounds like a positive development yes but like they, they were doing like these creative experiments and yes there's definitely creativity eh, but is there creativity or is everything just like a copy or like there's a lot of group think at least today i don't know it's hard to know i didn't i wasn't alive back i mean then. there's been there's always been a lot of group think they were writing books about it back then too yes yeah but yeah i don't know i don't know if there's more creativity today or, or less yeah the culture does seem a bit perturbed. Very myopic. Uh, can you it's, give an example? I mean, just music. Really like top 100 music, pop music, rap music. It's all about fucking bitches doing drugs. A lot mm -hmm. of it is, at least. Country yep. music, all about red solo cups, drinking beer. Well, um, part, of, part of that might be because... Um, if you're an artist um, and art, making art is your livelihood or music in this case, you've got to pump it out in order to, cause you can't just have one hit and then eat off of that forever. So you've, you've got to pump it out and naturally it's not all going to be great. Some, a lot of it's going to be crap. Yes. Um, but, if, but when you're looking back on history uh, and the historical music and stuff, you, you listen to the eighties station, the seventies and the sixties, they don't play the crap. They, they play the, the good music, right? Uh, from that era, and so it can look like when you're looking back on it, like it was all it was all stellar stuff. But that's because right. they're playing the hits; they're playing the ones that were actually really good. And same thing's probably going to happen with modern music. It might not be that it's all bad. It's just like always, it's mostly bad or mostly not great. And then when people look back on you know 2010s or 2020s music, they'll they'll only play the ones that were actually really good. And so they'll, they'll, they'll also think, oh, our, our music sucks today. But back then in the 2020s, they, they had it made. <laughs> this is a very good point. Yeah. This is a very good point. Yeah. Maybe people, I mean, maybe creativity does exist. It certainly does exist. 
But I think your message is right. Like if you're sitting there, especially if you're a developer, like wanting to get a big, go build something. Be creative. Mm-hmm. It's fun to be creative. Make a crappy wallet where you can't send the money. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that I worked for me. You know? Well, well now, now I make crappy receiving methods where you lose money. So, <laughs> well, you started with that crappy wallet where you couldn't send any funds. Like, like, do you have more confidence these days? Do you have more ability these days? Do you have yeah more creativity because you're tweaking, you're learning, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, now I want to go do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I now now I could build the wallet that has the send function as well if I wanted to, but right now a, a wallet's not not one of my uh, current projects. So, but maybe if if I'll get back to it and need to, if I need to make a wallet for something, that'd be cool. Maybe you use BDK. Maybe I could use BDK and then not have to not have to <laughs> l- relearn how to do PSBTs. So, that'd be great. Uh, we well, so you, you, wallet where you can't send. Whisper addresses. Some some dude lost money. It was his fault. Um, the idea of covenants. Yeah, right. multi sig covenants. Multi sig covenants. What else do you have in your head there? Well, lightning escrow is a lightning good one. escrow. Obviously, we today we put on our website uh, a base layer version of that as well, so Ooh. you can use. So you can do the same thing, but with but without a time limit on it. Uh, and without the Lightning Network, do you use end time? Well, could you use the time limit? And use end time lock or something? Yeah, we, I could, but the, well, you the, wouldn't want to time lock it because if somebody receives the fund, okay, is it? Yeah. The, so one of the, one of the complaints from our from our testers was that they wanted to do stuff with a longer timeout. So I said, well, two two weeks is the maximum if you're if you're lucky. If you have a direct channel from Alice to Bob, they can do a two week one. Um, but I want, but they wanted longer because they wanted to do longer longer term contracts so i made a base layer version we don't have a time limit on it but you you can put one we could we could add it directly into the into the um into the transaction with uh what's it called and within time lock but we don't need to because what instead what we can do is we can have like a second layer time lock where just the escrow will give the the third private key to whichever party after a certain amount of time and then you can the two parties could Signed together between then, like you'd only need that third, that that key if they, the, if there's a dispute. If you had uncooperative partner there, right. But the point is, if you if you build the 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 timeout on a second layer where the the escrow will just send the key back to the buyer, say after however long, that that allows you to not have it be in the Bitcoin contract itself. You can save space that way. But you can still have the equivalent of a time lock where you get the key you need in order to get your money back after a certain amount of time. So this is fascinating. Shit. What else you got in that head? Why do you do, why, why do you think Bitcoin's so important? I mean, you said it was the best money ever. Like what drove you to Bitcoin? I think from like um, driving an Uber to building shit on Bitcoin. It's a good, um, I've always, a long time ago, like in some somewhere around the year two thousand ten, we had this thing in our government where they where they called it going off the fiscal cliff, and there was a big news item. If we don't do X Y Z, we're going to go off the fiscal cliff. And at the time, when I remember when I first discovered Bitcoin, what what it referred to was um, they weren't going to pay our debts. Like we had a, we'd racked up a bunch of debt, which we've grown even more now, and they weren't going to. There was one side of Congress didn't want to pay the debts. And I just thought it was like 
weird that we had a money where these guys in Congress who get who, who aren't very reliable get to decide what to rack up enormous debts and then not pay them. Uh, both of those are problems. Firstly, you racked up the huge debt and then that you didn't want to pay it. Uh, I was like, I, I wonder if if there's any way to solve this with technology. And that, that was how I discovered Bitcoin was by looking up to see if anyone would come up with a way to do money that wasn't controlled by people in Congress. And that's, but, but to, to this day, Bitcoin's the only money that's like that. Bitcoin's the only money that doesn't have somebody or some small group of people controlling its issuance and controlling how it works and uh, with the ability to privilege themselves and hurt everybody else. And that's what makes it the best money uh, to me is that it's the only one that doesn't give control of a print button to either one person or a small group of people. A small group of sociopathic people. Yeah, it seems very straightforward, mm -hmm. right? Like, <laughs> it's so obvious to us. I seem like, I feel like, like, yeah, this is demonstrably the best money. You can't fuck with it. You can try to fuck with it. Uh, change the code is a. That's been going around lately, hasn't it? Yeah, well, Ripple, they want us to change the code. The Sierra Club wants us to change the club code. Greenpeace wants us to change the code. You're going to do a, a marketing campaign, just change the code. Well, if uh, if they propose better code, I'll run better code. But if they, if they propose worse code, is what they seem to be proposing, then don't do it. Like, you're in control of your own software. You're in control of what you run, folks. So if you want good money, run good code. Don't run the bad code that is being proposed by Ripple. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, don't they have... They have their own blockchain, right? So change your own code, guys. Was it really a blockchain or is it like just like a centralized database? I don't know. They have their own thing, though, is my point. Like They, they, they can make all the changes they want yes. over there, but I'm not going to... Unless I think it's better, I'm not going to run it. Well, and it's like hilariously tone deaf. It's like we literally had a group of industry insiders and power players try to change the code <laughs> individuals like yourself i imagine myself ran the code that wasn't changed we said go fuck off then that's uh making your own decisions is one of the reasons why like but you don't have to you don't have to listen to other people who want you who are like i insist that you run my code it's like, well I, I insist that i'm not going to listen to you so yeah you can't make me hit the download button and you never will yeah that's uh what do you think bitcoin's biggest weeks weaknesses right now uh what what is bitcoin's biggest weakness um i don't know what its biggest weakness is but i'll tell you something that might be just as interesting which is the uh a challenge that i see a lot is that there aren't enough developers uh for bitcoin you think so i think so some people think there are too many developers stop trying to change it we'll say <laughs> So, I mean, people who are building applications for it. Okay. Uh, and the reason why I think that is because I have, I know a lot of people in the industry who are trying to hire Bitcoin developers so they can make products. My, that my company, Lightning Escrow, is uh, hiring and trying to find people who can help us. Uh, no one knows Bitcoin software. Um, or th there are people who do, but they're all hired. They're all gainfully employed right now. Uh, and there's no new developers coming into the space who are familiar with the technology. And that's that's a big weakness because you can't hire anyone to do the things that you want to do. How do we solve this problem? Uh, well, the Pleb Lab at um, um, 7th and Brazos. Yeah, 7th and Brazos. 
they're solving it through hackathons. So they, they held that hackathon the other uh, few months ago. Whisper addresses came out. It was like, my time's all screwed up. I think it was last month, wasn't it? Um, I'm telling you, the year's flying by. It feels like forever. They had a hackathon and it was great. We got like, there were four or five teams there who had new people who had never developed anything on Bitcoin or on Lightning before. And now they have, right? So that's cool. You guys got another one coming up. Lisa, mm -hmm. Base 56. Bitcoin Plus Plus hackathon. Yes. We're going to be doing like two, another two or three months from now. That's in June, right? Yeah. So we're trying to solve the problem of not having enough Bitcoin developers by rewarding people for coming and developing on Bitcoin for the first time. Just make something at a hackathon and now you have some employable skills, you know? So, well, maybe that like, and what, let's articulate the opportunity for developers maybe on the sideline. Like I had this conversation with John from Zapra yesterday, like from a design perspective, like if your designer wants to build new user interface, visual designs and user experience designs around Bitcoin software. The landscape is wide open. You can make your mark as a designer in the Bitcoin world. There's so much to do. There's so many uh, innovations to make and, and places to leave your mark. Likewise with application development on the back end. Like you can create these new experiences with this new monetary system that were previously impossible uh we just need people to be dedicating their their time effort and talent to this stuff uh, and it's like how do we how do we convince these developers like hey come develop over here i think hackathons are one way that to do it uh when kyle murphy from pleb lab came up with the idea of doing a quarterly hackathon it was a great idea i was like that'll work that i mean it'll help a lot anyway it'll get new developers in so far, it's been a smashing success. I hope that in the next, the Bitcoin Plus Plus hackathon gets even more. And uh, gradually, we'll start to fix that problem. I think one of his ideas, you should get him on the podcast. You can ask him about it. But it, one of his ideas uh, is to make uh, Bitcoin educational stuff, like like seminars and boot camps where you can do, where you can, where we can hire. I, th I think he wants to go into colleges and invite, like put up flyers and invite people at like University of Texas and stuff to come to Bitcoin hackathons and to get rewarded for making stuff on Bitcoin and just choose that as sort of a path to direct their um, coding programming yeah. um, into. And if we do that, that'll really help with getting Bitcoin developers so that companies like mine and like my friends as companies can actually hire people to help them make this cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, you see it every, every month at BitDevs, like we're hiring a lot of people hiring. We're looking for a front-end dev here at TFTC. We really won't be building on Bitcoin, but building on a website. But no, in regards to Kyle, uh, we are loosely trying to schedule um, uh, a an appearance on TFTC. Sounds tight. The Pleb Labs shit. You guys are making strides. Yeah, it's fucking uh, like the like the the amount of pro cool projects that came out of. The last hackathon, I mean, yours, you had the uh, SAS FM, which is really cool. The deal, controlling DLCs and with C Lightning as the communication protocol. That, that was like, you're using three things the way they've never met, were never meant to be used. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. Do you think, do you think there's value in uh, like having the community, I'll say community here in Austin because it is literally a local community of, of Bitcoin talent that's you think yeah. it's, it's more productive? I'll, I'll tell you, I have a very recent example of this. Uh, on Saturday, 
no, on Sunday, Saturday or Saturday, Saturday or Sunday, I went into the office and Justin Moon was there with um, uh, the guy from Bitcoin Layaway. Uh, anyway, there were the two guys there, and I was like, "Oh, what are you guys doing here?" And they were like, "We're gonna make um, we're gonna make a Twitter advertising thing that was like, you can they want they want people to they wanted Bitcoiners to be able to pay to inject ads into other people's Twitter feeds. People would uh, download a Chrome extension that would." Uh, that would display these ads in your Twitter feed based on whoever paid the most um, to put an ad in there. And they were like, we're basically going to remake Brave as a Chrome extension, but using Lightning Network instead of whatever Brave uses. I was like, that's a great idea. So the three of us decided to do a 30-minute hackathon where we hacked it out in 30 minutes. We got we got an MVP working in, in 30 minutes. It's just, I had no plans on doing that on a Saturday. I, I don't know if they had either, but we came in, found each other, and we're like, let's do this, you know? How do you do that in 30 minutes? Dude, it was amazing. We divided up the tasks and we said, okay, you download like a Hello World Chrome extension and all your job is is to figure out how to inject code onto a page. Like that's all you're doing. You got to get a Hello World thing, inject code onto a page. And that was my task. And then Justin's was to write code that would inject ads onto a Twitter feed uh, from like... He, he just—I he, think he picked like a picture of Alex Jones. It was just a picture of Alex Jones. He repeatedly do it, but that was all. His his job was just to make that, just the code that would insert that into Twitter. And then uh, the other guy was like task management. He would help us, and he'd be like, "Okay, here's the thing that you need to call in order to run his." And within 30 minutes, I had my thing. He had his thing. We plugged them together, and we had Alex Jones all over our Twitter feeds in a Chrome ex- injected by means of a Chrome extension. We did that in 30 minutes. And then the next one was, all right, now we need to make it so that, um, so we did a subsequent 30-minute hackathon where we made it so instead of Alex Jones, it would be three banner ads that we had pre-selected and, and stored somewhere. And then the, after that, we did another one where we made it so you could uh, pay to upload your own pictures. So that instead of using Alex Jones, it would be the things you up, paid to upload. And it worked. Then we had it done. And it was like, all right, we can inject ads into people's feeds. They get paid to view them. Uh, and we, we made, we made a thing. It's on GitHub now. Let's fucking go. Isn't that amazing? Like just getting Bitcoin developers into a space and you find each other and you make cool stuff. Yeah. It's, I mean, there was that whole meme throughout COVID, like, oh, the world's going distributed, but you're so much more productive in person. Mm -hmm. Like this podcast is so much better in person. Like then like not like, I love all the, uh, the guests that come in via zoom and, uh, virtually, but uh, you just can't replicate the the in person uh, ability to read inflection and feed off of like immediate reaction. Thomas Johns, that was the third guy from Bitcoin Layaway. Shout, yeah, shout out Thomas Johns. <sighs> Are we gonna win? Yeah, man, we already won. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because we went from. Bitcoin being worth zero to being the national uh, part of the national policy of like four different G7 countries and ExxonMobil. Yeah. <laughs> and we did it in like 12 years. So, yeah. yeah, we've already we've we've already won. Most people just haven't realized it yet. I mean, yeah, we're 729,603 blocks in. Which is crazy to think. One of the early Bitcoin memes is that Bitcoin is money for enemies. Yeah, it is. Now you've got Ukraine who's using it to uh, get get donations to help them battle Russia, and you've got Russia using Bitcoin to evade sanctions. Bitcoin's money for enemies, right? The enemies are using it against each other. <sighs> yeah, we've already won. Yeah, but it's easy to get 
dragged down to like, oh my God, they're going to kill it. Oh my God, they're going to fuck up the world before Bitcoin can win. That's what I worry about. They're really fucking up the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is, for, for a while it was, there was talk of what if Congress passes a law that like bans proof of work or something. Ripple's trying to. But uh, you know who does, you know who's not going to want that to happen is like Exxon Mobil and Shell Oil because they're writing the paychecks of these politicians, and they are using Bitcoin as part of their revenue. So if you're like, let's change the code so that you can't make money off of proof of work anymore, the people who are in charge of the country are like, well, that's how we make our money. Yeah, so no, no, I know this is um, being close to the mining space has actually like been the goal of mine last two years. Not saying that I'm doing it personally, but like I want to f- focus my efforts outside of this stuff on getting the energy companies bought in. So the energy is the base of society. We can't turn these lights on, turn these mics on, turn this camera on without energy. Uh, energy companies are important. They have a lot of leverage throughout the economy. If you get them incentively aligned to protect Bitcoin, I think that's very high leverage. Uh, and they're in control of what laws our country passes. So, yeah, there you go. And they've been fucked over by like the big banks and Wall Street. ESG is a perfect example. You have Larry Fink. Excuse me, I burped. Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, pushing ESG. He gets access to, I mean, the Federal Reserve expanded their facilities and tapped BlackRock on the shoulder specifically gave them a bunch of printed money and said, all right, here's some free profits. And then they take those free profits and they go oil companies. Um, if you want this money to reinvest in your companies, you got to be ESG compliant. Uh, the day. Who, do you, who do you think has more influence on politicians, banks or energy companies? Right now, banks. Really? Uh, we haven't won yet then. No, not yet. But it's going to shift. Definitely banks. Yeah, banks are just... Well, you say definitely. It's not clear to me. Tell, tell me more. Why Why definitely banks? I mean, just look at look at what they say. Or look what they do. Who got bailed out? The Both, right? Because the energy companies also got... When, they, when, when uh, prices of oil went negative, didn't they get a bailout? No. No? I don't think they got bailed out. Oh, oops. Other oh, people got bailed know. out. BlackRock got a bunch of money. Oh wait, the the oil companies were underwater, and they gave money to the banks. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a massive. There are a lot of people, a lot of like the, the oil and gas companies like failed. Wow. All right. There was a lot of mergers and acquisitions after that. They let them go bust. There wasn't any wasn't any bailouts from what I recall. I thought they had, I thought they all the all the politicians were in their pockets, and they could tell them what to do. They could be like, "We want uh, subsidies for." I don't know, fracking or something. Let's make it happen. No, what the opposite direction. Oh, well, shows what I know. I mean, right now, that's, I mean, that's the big thing. You have like this energy crisis. And <laughs> U.S. oil and gas companies are like, can we drill more? And they're like, no, we're going to go to Venezuela and Iran and ask them for oil first. And then uh, and maybe we'll allow you to build pipelines when but once they turn us away. But isn't like Shell Oil and... ExxonMobil, aren't they the companies in Venezuela and Iran and stuff that are pumping the Shell, Shell, I believe, is in... Uh, yeah, but it's like it's, it's weird the way it works. So it's like 
the interaction with the the international oil and gas companies and the the local governments that they interact with. I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't fighting hard to drill in America because they can drill for cheaper in other countries and then sell it to America at a higher price. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at that either. I'm just making stuff up. You don't have to think no, too I'm hard thinking, about it. I'm thinking, well, China's locked up a lot of Ecuador's production. Um, no, but then like you have like the political risk of drilling in Venezuela. Venezuela is Maduro just going to confiscate your shit. Yes, it may be cheaper, but the political risk is higher. I think it's political unwillingness from the policymakers here to allow us to tap it open more. Well, how are like drilling in Texas is expanding, right? Yes. Texas is very different though. Texas is a free energy market. Which well, is, it's still part of America though. So, it's, yeah. so they're not able to stop them entirely from drilling. They're just doing it in Texas. Not able to stop Texas, no. Yeah, um, yeah it's a state rights thing. Different flaring regulations, different states. Um, Texas is mainly private land where you have a, an oil and gas rich state like Wyoming, which is something like 90% federal land. And that's what they did. They banned, that's what the federal government did. They banned new mineral leases on federal lands. So Texas doesn't really care because there's not a lot of federal land in Texas. Wyoming cares a lot because it's mostly federal land. And like, so that law destroyed their oil and gas industry to a certain extent. Wow. Yeah. Well, at least we got, then they moved to Texas though. So yes. benefits us. But that, so like the way it shifts back to energy companies, I think is Bitcoin, like integrating Bitcoin into your operations. So right now, after the shale boom, a lot of misallocation of capital and now the oil and gas companies are beholden to the, the money allocators, the banks and investment firms to an extent where they're like, all right, we have to like play nice with these guys so that we can get money um, to reinvest in our operations. And there are these banks are just able to lend money out or print money out of thin air and give it to them and then tell them what to do with it. Where now with Bitcoin, if you're willing to bootstrap a mining operation and turn some of your natural gas into Bitcoin, hold that on your balance sheet. Now that changes the story. I don't need to receive, um, the money isn't, this money isn't controlled by the banks. Like they can't dangle this carrot, make me, make me jump and dance to do things. I could be in control of my own destiny if I participate in the Bitcoin monetary system and mine Bitcoin and, and hold it as a treasury asset. And it does what it has done up to this point in time. Um, there's a shifting in the, uh, in the power structure, I believe, where shifting from the banks having all the power to the energy companies having all the power, which I actually think is probably better because the energy industry is much more distributed than the banking industry. Well, you, if, if, I would rather have the people have the power. Agreed. So, well, that's a little, the no, people. No, just, the people actually now via being able to operate full nodes are able to keep those producers in check, right? Yeah, I, I was talking about this. You should. I, I, I will. The expert on the question I'm about to ask is Luke Dasher, but the question I'm wondering is: Are, are there more people running full nodes now than there were? When we in 2017, the last time we had a big uh, marketing push by by Corpos to change Bitcoin, I think so. I think there probably are because of all the 
like node packages. Yeah, from, Umbrella and all that. It's very easy, much easier these days. Yeah, but just because you bought an Umbrella doesn't mean you actually have your money on it. And it, if you don't, if you're not actually using it to validate any funds, it doesn't really help the network. No, that's an important point, right? Like the, I think the four quarters of 2017 really drove the concept of an economic bull node or an economic actor mm-hmm. um, into the conversation, which is exactly what you said. Like, unless you're running your own transactions, your own economic activity through your own node. Yeah, it's the difference between being an, ob- an observer and a participant. Yes. If, you do- if you buy an umbrella or whatever, and you just plug it in, you're an observer of the blockchain. But you only become a participant if you have money that's relying on that node in order to make your transactions. Yes. Um, so that's the reason why I asked though, is if, if I think I suspect we're in a better position now to resist corporate takeover than we were in 2017. And part of the reason is because we've got more people running these things. Well, almost entirely the reason is because we've got more people running these things. But I do wonder is the ratio of people who are participants versus observers higher now? Than I it think, was then? I think so. Is anything about like Sparrow and Spectre, which make it easy to connect your hardware wallet to that full node, which is mm-hmm. the main way in which people uh, probably store their Bitcoin. And so if you're easily able to attach the XPUB of, of one of your hardware wallets and track the addresses there, send new funds to the address using that node to verify that it, that it is yours. Um, I think that's more commonplace than it was in 2017. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of suspect that the flow for very many people is they have a hardware wallet and they have a phone wallet and they receive funds into their phone wallet and let it accumulate there and then eventually send it to their hardware wallet. And if that's the regular flow, none of that involves a full node. No. No. So then they're just observers of the blockchain, which is which are prone to getting corporate. Well, takeover. if that's if they're using yeah. But like I mean it's very easy, you know, like blue wallet, Trezor using Spectre, cold card using Spectre, or Sparrow, basically connected to your full node. You have HWI um and core getting flushed out. So it seems like like the tools are there. And you just got to do it once. Are people using them? I think more people are using them than were. Yeah, I I suspect so. But we should get an expert on, or you should get an expert on, to ask that question. But does Luke Dasher even know? I don't know. In my head, he's the one to ask. Yeah, Luke. We haven't had you on the podcast either. We need to get Luke on. I want to do Luke. I want to do. I want to do Luke (laughs) in person though, if he does ever agree to come on. Um. I think he might have been right on small blocks. Um, yeah, because he wanted uh, he he didn't want Segwit um, to increase the block size, right? Yeah, he wanted he wanted us to have like I believe like six hundred like kilobits block size or something like that. Maybe even like three hundred something. I forget. And, uh, I think he wanted to be able to. He wanted to be able. He wanted it to be easy to transmit. Over ham cool. radio wave. Or something yeah, I, like I don't want to put words in his mouth. I think it would be cool if it was easy to transmit Bitcoin blocks over ham radio. That would be that would be awesome. It would certainly make it more robust. Yeah, yeah, and it would just be fun. <laughs> like, what's your radio squawking about? Oh, it's Bitcoin. 
<laughs> it's all that sound money coming out of the radio. Well, I was, uh, I was in a conversation, like Pierre Richard would argue, blocks are small right now. <laughs> if you look at blocks, none of them are full. Like how many full blocks have we had? If you just look at the fee market, like too many. Because sometimes my little Raspberry Pi, it's like smoking with all the processing it's doing. Really? I mean, not literally, no. But I mean, I, I, if you, when I look at the history of the size of the uh, of the blockchain, it was it was linear all the way up to 2017, and then it hockey sticked because we got Segwit, and now we have double block sizes we had before. Yeah. So it's like it affects my node. You know, my node takes longer to process transactions. Are blocks full though? Uh, enough of them are that it's a clear it's a clear huge increase like yeah. doubling of the size yeah and you need a hard fork to reverse that would you to make blocks smaller or the limit smaller it seems like you could reject reject uh block you could soft fork in a rejection of blocks that are larger than whatever size you want it would be a restriction rather than a is that backward compatible though with a reject Blocks, well, I mean, you blocks over the limit from per four. Yeah. You'd, you'd say in for the future. So after block okay. size eight hundred thousand, say no more blocks bigger than three hundred kilobytes, and then that would be the soft fork because it's a restriction on the rules rather than a relaxing of the rules. Yeah, I was always under the impression that you need a hard fork. I'm I'm dumb though. You'd so. probably, you might need a hard fork to undo it if you wanted to get bigger blocks later. Yeah. But somehow we managed to get a block size increase with SegWit without a hard fork. So it can happen somehow. And then you get into the whole debate once it's a block size or block weight. What are these definitions? Yeah. What are these nuances? But you'll have to get somebody else on to answer those. I'm just <laughs> a lowly application developer. I'm a lowly podcaster who's uh, just trying to take all this in. Ah. Uh, Pump, we did this. Yeah, man. You're fucking fascinating, bro. This is great. What do you do outside of Bitcoin? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, the other thing that I can most commonly be found doing is like sleeping and bicycling. They're probably the two other things. So there you go. Bitcoin, sleeping, bicycling. It would interest you to know that I live in a tent. That's what Carver's saying that. Why do you live in a tent? <laughs> uh, it's all I need. It's all I need. I, I was living in an apartment for a while, but I was never there. I, I, only, come, I only went there to, to sleep, and then I'd wake up and come out. I was like, I don't have anything on my walls. I don't have any furniture. I don't use any. Of, I, if I did have them, they would just sit there, and I wouldn't use them because I'm never at home. So I was like, what I really need is a tent. <laughs> so I got one, and then I sleep in a tent. What's it like sleeping in a tent? Dude, it's awesome. Uh, it is really good for you, I think. Where's your Where's your tent? It's at a campsite on South Congress. Okay, but um, you get fresh air all the time. It's good for you. That's good for you. You get flat sleeping surfaces. That's good, good for you. That's about it. But it's a, it's a lot of fun. See, so you, you ever get cold in your tent? No. If I got If I got cold, I would go get in a hostel or something. Okay, but um. It doesn't really happen though, because you get a decent sleeping bag, and you, I, I, I have found that my threshold is thirty six degrees. If it's thirty six degrees, I'm warm, um, because I'm in a sleeping bag, and it's I, I got all my body heat 
strapped in there with me. And then if it's higher than that, I'm, or if it's, if it's lower than that, then I am cold because then my body heat doesn't stay in fast enough or it gets stripped out from the weather faster than I can keep it in. Are you the mountain man that Vitalik Buterin was talking about? Uh, no, because I, because I live off the highway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't. I don't know if he ever talked about a homeless Bitcoin developer, but if you ever did, that would be that would be me. And you're homeless by choice, right? Yeah. I, I someone told me that I should call myself a um, what's it called nomad instead of homeless, uh, because that's like the popular term right now for being homeless. But um, I don't. I think a nomad is a traveling homeless person, and I'm a, I'm in staying in one place, so I think I'm just regular old homeless. When you say you're at a campsite, is it like one that's permanent or like one of like the... It's a permanent, legit campsite that's listed on campsite websites. Okay. So you're not like one of the guys in Austin living on the side of the freeway. No, but it is right off of the freeway though. So <laughs> that's, where, that's where it happens to be located. What do you do? Like how, how many clothes do you own? How many? I have... What's your, how big is your wardrobe? t-shirts, two pants, or one, one pants and one shorts, which is these shorts. And I have to get new ones because these have a hole in them. Uh, and then nine socks or so. Give nine, or take. nine pairs of socks or nine, nine pairs. Okay. This is fascinating shit. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever move out of the tent? Uh, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably move around, but I hope I, I, I like, I really like the tent. So I want to come back to tent life when I've moved on from it. Where is your ideal tent life going to be? I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't give a lot of thought to ideal living conditions. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, what? What? It, like, so you wake up. How often do you like? How long do you sleep in your tent? You like? I I I I, I used to say I always get seven hours and thirty minutes. That's so I like don't measure by when I get up. I measure by when I go to sleep. I set an alarm for seven hours and thirty minutes. Then I wake up whenever it goes off. But I stopped doing that recently um, because one of, the, one of the developer friends I met got me into uh, a bad habit, which is staying up real late, like staying up till 3 a.m., working on stuff. And then it's, for some reason, I think it's because there's fewer people around at that hour. I seem to be more productive between the hours of like 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. You just focus. Yeah. But then I don't actually go to sleep till like 3.30. And then... Then I have the whole morning that I don't get to use. So there's some doubt. There's some downsides to it. And the morning is very good. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I stay up late a lot, too. But it gets harder when you have kids, because they wake you up very early. You don't sleep much. Um. You sold all your chairs. Oh yeah, man. I uh I did. I I don't have any. I don't have a single one. I never really. I don't know if I've ever owned a chair, but no, I owned a car once, and those have chairs in them. So, uh, yeah, I sold my chair. No, no, I crashed my chair. And then that, then I didn't buy a new one. How'd you crash your chair? Well, actually, I did sell it because I sold the wrecked car to the, to the whatever Scrap it was. Scrap metal guys? Yeah. So, yeah, I sold all my chairs. How'd you crash your car? Flipped it uh, onto its side when my GPS fell and I was trying to pick it up. And oh, I found myself turned on my side. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Were you okay? Yeah, it was uh, unscathed okay. because uh, apparently modern cars are a miracle for keeping you not hurt at all when you get in a 
car turned over an accident. They're designed to foil in a way that keeps you, yeah, keeps you safe. It works. It works, buddy. I didn't have a scratch. I think I had one scratch. Like a fing- one of my fingers got scratched by some broken glass. But yeah, I flipped flipped my car, sold it, and that was my last chair that I've owned. That happened in twenty eighteen. So I haven't owned a chair for four or five years. Have you been in Austin the whole time too? Four years. Uh, no, I haven't. I grew up in Ohio, and uh, then I moved to Michigan. Then I moved to Puerto Rico. Then I moved to Texas. Puerto? How's Puerto? I love I I liked Puerto Rico a lot. I moved there right at the beginning of COVID, uh, and I liked it a lot uh, in terms of like it's a beautiful place and they have great weather. Uh, tropical. It's like always between seventy and eighty degrees. It's like always perfect. Um, but the one thing I didn't like was that their government is very they they have a very bad government in Puerto Rico and they're they got very um, tyrannical about. Not yes. being able to leave your house unless you both had not not just had a mask, but like you had to you had to have a mask. You had to take your temperature, and you had to show proof of vaccination at a lot of places, including like like they would have police who would come around and ask. They would just stop you randomly and be like, "Can you show us your papers to prove you have to prove you're allowed to be outside?" So when I got like that, I moved here because people said Texas was free, and it is so relatively free. Yes. Yeah, you think people will learn from Germany about the whole show me your papers thing. Maybe it's not the best to, to begin asking people about papers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's it like living this simply? Simple. <laughs> do you have any stress? I, I do recently. After I became CTO of, the, of Lightning Escrow, I have, I have a lot of stress now. Why do you have a lot of stress? Um, because I still have old responsibilities and I made agreements to take on new ones. And the more responsibilities that I have, the more stressed I get. So yeah, that was, that's why. Stress makes diamonds, dude. All right. Diamonds are worthless though. That sounds like you're beautiful though. It sounds like you tried to be encouraging and then just took it right back. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I'm a big anti De Beers diamond scam. Men have been conned into buying these expensive engagement rings. Diamonds are beautiful. Pressure creates beautiful things. That's what I was trying to say. All right. But then my... Then you remembered that you were... Then I remember that I, to that narrative. No, no, no. Diamonds are beautiful. They just shouldn't be worth as much as they are. Worthless, beautiful things. Yeah, not worthless, but like worth a lot less than they currently are. Did diamonds get monetized? Did people like buy diamonds as a store of value? I, I said people certainly do. Do they? Jewel, I, jewelry. They buy jewelry, yeah. So, which includes diamonds. Yes. So, they, yeah, they do. They think like, yeah, family heirlooms passed down. These diamonds will have value, honey. Excuse me, I just burped. Yeah. I can't believe you live in a tent. It's, the, it's one way to live, man. I know. So, if you... <laughs> It, it might be more common if people didn't use their apartments for anything. And they might decide not to have one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm barely there anyway. I'm when gonna... I was, what year was this? Had to be somewhere close to 2013. I moved into an apartment and with, with a friend of mine. And I didn't immediately have a bed. But it was fine. Because I was just like, well, I'll just sleep on the floor till I get one. 
And then I slept really well, like that, that first night. And I was like, well, I'm in a new place and I'm just, I'm excited and I'm sleeping well because of, because of that. But over the next course of the next like few weeks, I still did, I didn't get a bed and I was sleeping better like every night. I was like, maybe I just don't need a bed. <laughs> so since like 2012 or so, I've never, I, I just, I just sleep on the floor and it's great. I sleep better than ever. It's well, good for your better posture. than I did before then. It's good for your posture too, isn't it? Yeah, which I need as a developer because during the day I'm like hunched over a computer all day, and neck jutting forward and stuff. So at least I get eight hours of good posture when I'm going to sleep. That's the posture. Sorry, these chairs are bad for good posture. I can like I just found myself in this. very comfy. Thank you for sitting in this chair and speaking with me. You're a fascinating gentleman. Thank you, Marty. I like you too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for building what you do, pushing the design uh, sphere forward in the Bitcoin space, making people think like, hey, maybe I can build this way and encouraging more people to get into Bitcoin development. Do it. Get into Bitcoin development. Come to the Bitcoin Plus Plus Hackathon to be announced shortly on a website where you can decide to come. I don't know much about that. It's going to go on during consensus or right before. Right before during. I think it might front be, run. The word front run was used. Front run was used, so probably before. Yeah. If you're coming to consensus, which I don't know why you would be, it's a shitcoin fest. Come to Bitcoin Plus Plus instead. Yes. Come hang out at the Bitcoin Commons. But uh, there's a tweet about it. So you can go on Twitter to learn, search for Bitcoin Plus Plus and see it there. I don't know where, I don't think we have anything ready for people to like sign up for it. Yet. No, go find Nifty Day on Twitter. She's tweeting about it. I know. Pleb Labs, at Pleb Labs. I don't know if it's at Pleb Labs. It's not plural, it's singular. Pleb, Pleb Lab. Lab, at Pleb Lab. Yeah. Find out about Bitcoin Plus Plus. There you go. Come hack. Peace and love, freaks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>